Now, before we pray and get into the sermon, um, we have a new sermon series that's coming up in January. In January is a time where people are naturally willing to try new things, but they need a reason. And one of those things that, that we can try and strive and do is invite people to come to church. We understand as Christians and as United Methodists that we have salvation in no other name except for Jesus. And our call in Matthew 28 is to go and to make disciples. One of those ways we can do that is by inviting people to join us in church. But so often, churches and well-meaning Christians have used the Bible as a weapon, as a sword to hurt people. And that can leave people with scars and wounds from all sorts of topics. And so starting January the 13th, we're going to address some of those topics that have been used to hurt people. And so I made a video, a promo, it's like 35 seconds or something, that I want to show you, but it's also on Facebook, it's on our website, or will be on our website, that you can share and say, you know what, if you have questions, if you've been hurt by this, we want you to come and hear what we have to say because it's not going to be nearly as painful as you've experienced. So let's go ahead and show that. There is sound, too. If it worked. I just did this big psych up to this video. <laughs> there it is. Drop You saw some of the topics scroll by there. Um, we've heard all of the controversial things about how good Christians don't get tattoos. Well, we're going to talk about that one. We're going to talk about that. We've heard things that say, you know, a woman's supposed to be silent in church. We're going to talk about that one too. Because sometimes we read it with our own bias and it doesn't really mean what we think it means. There's the next video clip from Princess Bride. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> great, great, one of the greatest movies. But anyway, I'm really going to do that. We're going to have that video clip that week. <laughs> but we're going to talk about all those things and, and what's happening there. And, and I promise you, while a lot of those scriptures have been used to hurt people, my hope and my prayer is that that series will bring healing in the midst of where that pain has come from. That we will take a very United Methodist approach, but also a very healing approach. So if this is something you've experienced, or you know people who have experienced, I want to encourage you to make sure that you are here for that, or watching it online, or otherwise attending. But let's go ahead and pray, and we'll dig into our topic for today. Dear Jesus, we thank you that we could gather here we pray as Chase and I dig into your word, into the hymns you have given to your people, into your scripture that you have given to your people, that you would speak to us. 
That not my words, not Chase's words, but your words would be heard today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been spending the last couple weeks, and we're going to go through Christmas Eve, talking about the, the hymns of the church and, and the, uh, some of our traditional Christmas hymns that we sing every year and how they teach us, how the music itself speaks to us. For example, verse 2 of, the, of O Come All Ye Faithful. We always kind of stumble through that one. Sometimes it gets skipped and we don't know it as well. But it teaches us deep theology. Things that there have been thousands of pages written on get summed up here. True God of true God, light from light eternal. He shuns not the virgin's womb, son of the father, begotten, not created. The theology that Jesus is God in the flesh. That in those things, when you see Jesus, you have come face to face with God. There have, St. Nick, St. Nicholas that we get Santa Claus from, he got into a fist fight over that, that Jesus is God. Think of the jolly old fat guy punching somebody. He really did. He jumped out of a tree, pulled a guy named Arius off his horse and slugged him in the face because that guy Arius was trying to say that Jesus was not always God. We don't have to fight. We just sing. We just sing. And we talk about it. But we also want to talk not just about the words, but about the music and the notes and what we are being taught through that. And that's where Chase comes in. And so I'm going to invite him up, and he will start us off. Thank you. You're welcome. Is this, is this off? Yes? Can everyone hear this? Yeah. Okay, it didn't work the first one. And neither did the other mic, so I just screamed. I fixed it. Time. So uh, I was talking with BT in between the services um, and as part of the first service, and it, it's, it's an interruption of the Holy Spirit interjecting uh, the will because during the, um, the reading that Sandy did, it ties exactly into everything that um, this hymn and the composer of the hymn is trying to get across, uh, both in the text and in the music. So I thought it was, it was a really perfect um, timing for that. And the first thing, and really what the whole reading was about, was rejoice. And rejoice and come to a place of joy with God. And now I, I am in a place of joy right now. I am in a place of, of joyous rejoicing in the most joyful of ways. Because I just took my finals. They're my last ever finals, unless I go to grad school. But they're my last undergraduate finals. I am done. I am done. And... Yes, it's a time for celebration. It really is. And if you look at the first text of this, of the um, O Come All Ye Faithful, it says, O Come All Ye Faithful, Joyful, and Triumphant. And so right now, those, those words resonate with me. They, I mean, I, I was a person who didn't want to go to college. I, I asked both of my part-time jobs in high school if they would hire me full-time so that I could have enough money to sustain a nice, peaceful life and not have to worry about college. While I was in college, many times I thought about dropping out, many times, far more than I will admit. 
and I almost got kicked out of my major for challenging the curriculum of the way that education was going. So yeah, I'm very faithful right now that I, I've made it through. So yeah, it, it's very easy for me to read this and go, God is faithful, I am joyful, I am triumphant through God. He has delivered me to the end of this thing that took four years. But when I look at some of my friends, some of them aren't so joyful right now. There's um, one of my friends in particular who is waiting for the final judgment on Tuesday when the final uh, grades get released to see if they passed finals, to see if their four years of work will get them to their goal. And they're not so confident. And so reading this text, O come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant, would be hard for them. And at Slippery Rock, this past semester, we experienced two suicides, one of them being within the last week of finals. And so these lyrics become something that for some of us, and at some of our places of where we are in our lives, are easy to sing. And they're easy to join our voices and say, joyful, triumphant, faithful, I'm going to come, I'm going to put my, my face to God, and it's... It's everything is great and beautiful and perfect, but for others, they can't lift their head from the ground. It just hurts too much. And so what do we do with that? Where do we find ourselves, and what does the composer say? Well, if we look at the music, the first couple of lines, let's say the first three stanzas, musically are written, I would say, perfectly. They're a nice classical piece, uh, everything that, that's in the piece is handled really well in the music theory world. If Mozart were to look at it, Mozart would say, yes, this is good music, send it to the masses of people. Right? It sounds something like this on this keyboard. <laughs> it's really well behaved. All of those little sharps that are added, they're treated just exactly how they would be, exactly how composers wanted them to be. Oh, there's a beatbox. Hello. <laughs> Not sure what that was about. Um, but it's perfect. It's perfect classical music. And if you look, there, there's four parts singing. There's four parts. There's from the bottom, the bass, the tenor, the alto, and soprano. Four voices singing in what what could be called perfect classical harmony. It's beautiful, it's exact, it's aesthetically pleasing. You know, it doesn't sound something you know, like this. I'm just going to make something up. Right? Where something may be a little more atonal, something that's not so well-behaved. It's a little bit more outside of the realm of behaved music. It's not. It's perfect. Everything that, that, that composers, when they take it from here to here, it's supposed to go back to here, it says music theory, and it does. It does everything it's supposed to. It follows the rules. Four-part singing. But when you look at the refrain, if you go down to the fourth stanza on page 234, it's different. Now, last week we talked about what do composers do to emphasize, to add certain parts to music to make it to stick out and subliminally stick out in your ears so you remember certain words that are more important, and they create their own story amidst all of the other words, right? But this composer takes away voices. So they take away the bass, the tenor, 
and the alto, and there's just one lonely line left to sing. Now, I don't know where this tradition started, but in churches, like ever since I was a kid, and I was raised Baptist, don't hold it against me, but when I was in church, it always happened. When we got to this part in the verse, everyone would get really quiet. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore And we would then start building and building and building. Now, a, a real pianist would play that like this. Because the pianist is really only supposed to play the four parts that are in here. So when the composer gets rid of those other three parts, the only part left to play is just one part. Now, I don't do that on the piano. I I add a little bit more substance. I I improvise some things around the chords that are happening. But if you were to play it authentically, it would just be one line, and everyone who's not a soprano would stop singing. Very interesting. We go from this this perfection of music, well-behaved, and then we take all of it away, and just one voice is remaining. And it's on purpose. It's most definitely on purpose. Because when we look at the text, it says, Oh, come, let us adore him. It's what the composer is emphasizing, highlighting. That even when the music is just hanging on by a thread, one lonely, tiny line, not even, no piano, nothing. No alto, see altos. (laughs) No basses, no tenors. We don't even have tenors, so we don't have to worry about them. They're weird anyway, I don't know. Um, but the composer gets rid of all of these voices almost as if to say sometimes life is perfect sometimes we, we, we are sitting in, in the beauty and the, the harmony and it's so easy to go like this and say God I am faithful I'm joyful in those times it's so easy and we all do it there's nothing wrong with that you know but the composer saying, even when you're just holding on by a thread, when all the harmony has left, when all the accompaniment has left, when all the good things that have been making your life so beautiful have suddenly disappeared as quickly as they came in sometimes. Oh, come, let us adore him. Even when we're just hanging on, oh, come, let us adore him. When our... When our our head is so heavy from, from life and, and the toils and the, the sickness of the world, which we all experience every day, whether we turn on the news or not. Sometimes I feel like I can't escape it. I don't even watch TV and I hear about all this stuff. It's terrible. Sometimes I want to hang my head low. And it's so hard to even just glance up. And for my friends who are waiting on finals... I can feel their energy, how heavy it is. And for the families of, of those who've taken their lives, it's not a joyful time. It's not an easy time to be faithful. No one wants to sing of being triumphant. But the composer says, even in those times, come, lift your head Just an inch up, whisper your prayers, your concerns. Let us adore him through it all, through everything 
even when it's all gone. There's still one voice. And the composer gives us even a little, a little more word of inspiration. Because after that one voice musters up enough energy to sing, come let us adore him. You'll see in the next measure, two more voices come. The tenor's back. Lord help us all. <laughs> and the alto is back. And the composer starts writing the voices back in, almost as if to say, sometimes, even if you're, you can muster up enough energy to say one thing, to lift your head up that inch to get it to God, other people hear that. God hears that, and he joins us. And other people join us. And maybe, maybe they were the voice that couldn't muster up anything, and they, they hear that one line. And suddenly everyone comes back. And in the church tradition, right, we crescendo, we get louder at the end. And the only problem I have with this text is I wish it ended on an exclamation point. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. That sometimes it's perfection and sometimes it's not. But amidst all of it, the composer says, come, let us adore him. Thank you. So, we see in the words of this song the story that connects us to uh, Luke chapter 2 in the Bible. Mary's giving birth, there's a baby, there's shepherds, and the angel shows up, and the shepherds go, and they tell, and they're excited, and it says in verse 3, to sing choir of angels in exaltation. Sing, all ye citizens of heaven. It connects us to the story. We become part of that event, and we sing of the glory of God, how great God is, that above everything else, God is supreme and majestic and worthy to be praised. We sing in the chorus, let us adore God. Christ the Lord, let us give adoration that God is all good. God is all knowing and all powerful. And out of that, we have the peace. We have the peace of God so that we too will thither bend our joyful footsteps. You know, I put a lot of typos on the screen. I checked that one like four times because autocorrect tells me that thither is not a word. But it's there because we have joyful footsteps and peace in the midst of it. It's here, though, that if God is so good, the question becomes, why is everything so hard? Why, if we're going to say that God coming in the flesh brings us peace, why isn't there much peace right now? It's been 2,000 years we should have had peace by now. I mean, if you've watched the news, 
a seven-year-old girl was just killed in custody of dehydration and neglect. Regardless of where you stand on the issue, that's not okay. That hurts. We see people losing their jobs. The average food cost has climbed 15% this year. This hurts. This leads us away from peace. But you're like Chase, and you're like, you know what, I'm not going to watch TV. But sometimes even in our own homes, there isn't much peace. The average person holds $8,000 in credit card debt. There's two reasons for that credit card debt. Medical bills and Christmas. We go broke trying to make Christmas a reality because we feel like we have to keep up with our neighbors. It takes us away from peace. I, I have, and it doesn't even escape the life of the church. I have friends of mine, if, if you ask them, they're married, and if you ask them how they met, they say, well, it was the first day of kindergarten. I went to school with them, and, and they started dating in kindergarten, if you ask them. They grew up together. They got married two days after high school graduation. They went to college together. They started jobs together. They go to church every week. But they miss church from Thanksgiving till New Year's because they can't have kids. And the one place that's supposed to be the most peaceful, as soon as they walk in the doors, they're assaulted with celebrations of babies. The God of the universe became a baby and they can't have one. And so they say that it's just too painful. If you've ever lost a child, if you've ever had a miscarriage, sitting here in church on Christmas can be so painful because we worship a God who came out the birth canal of a virgin. The one place that's supposed to have peace and comfort doesn't. Some of us are sitting alone on Christmas this year for the very first time. Some of us are finding ourselves with empty nests or unemployment or illnesses this time of year. And then we hear a song that says, Come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. How can I come joyful and triumphant? Haven't you seen the year I've had? How can we ever do that? How could we come and adore Christ the Lord when everything is falling apart? How can we have that peace when the whole world rages in chaos? I don't think the peace is the same peace that we think of as dependent on our circumstances. It's not the same peace that's dependent on everything being right. Instead, this peace that comes through this God born in a manger is the one that assures us 
of our salvation through Jesus. That beyond all things, beyond anything we've done, beyond how this year has treated us or our circumstances or the choices we've made, there is still the assurance of our own salvation. That goes beyond any circumstance. And it allows us to still adore the God who became helpless in a manger, dependent on someone else for his very survival. We sang verse 5 today. Verse 5 is one that's often left out, but it's my favorite verse. It says this child, poor and sinner in a manger, it puts us in the manger with Christ that we are just as helpless as the newborn Christ. Just as dependent on someone else to serve and to help us and to care for us. But then it asks the question, how could we not love you who loved us so dearly that even while we were yet sinners, you were born and lived and died and rose again for us. It's that Christ who is in the manger. It's that Christ that gives us peace and assurance of our own salvation. It's that Christ who calls us each to that manger. Regardless of anything else going on, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in, regardless of the time of year, calls us there that we might adore Christ the Lord. Because it's that Christ who calls to us. says, none of your past matters. None of your past defines you. You are still my beloved that I will give up all of that privilege and all of that power so that you may have eternal life. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, sometimes this time of year is joyful and triumphant, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes our faith is barely hanging on by a thread Sometimes our, our faith doesn't lead us to the peace we think it should. When those things come, when they happen, may you remind us that in this manger is you. Fully God. Light from light eternal that calls us to have a peace found in that manger. Amen. Amen.